Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, O Leave, Let Us Adore Him. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. You know, we tend to separate worship from daily life. Uh, we even do it in our language, in, in our wording. We tend to say that we leave the house to go to worship. Some of y'all may have even said that today. Hurry up and get dressed. It's time to go to worship. But there's a single verse in the Christmas story that could forever change your understanding of where and when worship takes place. You know, it's in the Christmas story, as Luke tells it, that we find out about the shepherds who are in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone all around him. And he declared this word to the shepherds. He said that in the city of David was born to you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And he told them where to find him in Bethlehem and what he would look like. He would be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But then here's how Luke the physician concludes the shepherd's part in his Christmas pageant. Because the shepherds do go into Bethlehem and they do find the Savior and they do worship him. And then we find this in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Did you catch that? The shepherds did go into Bethlehem together and worship, but then they returned home worshiping as well. Now, it, it's not either or, it's both and. So yes, they went together into Bethlehem and they worshiped Christ the Lord there. And we need to do that as well. Part of our uh, work, you could say, our privilege, but also our work as Christians is to gather together with other people who love the Lord and together lift up his name and praise, together study his word, together wrestle with the implications of his word, together pray for each other. This is one of the things we need to do, of course, but we also need to leave worshiping as well. The old theologians used to refer to it as the gathered church and the scattered church. You're never not the church. You're never not at church. You're never not part of the people of God. You're either gathered or scattered, but you're the people of God. So we are the gathered church. We get together on Sundays and we gather together and lift up our voices together and hold each other accountable and pray for each other. But then when we leave, we're not, uh, we haven't stopped being the church. We're now the scattered church. And we're scattered all throughout our different highways and byways of life. But we're still the people of God. We're still doing what he wants us to do. And so these shepherds can show us the way. They came together and worshipped at the manger. But then they went home worshipping as well. Now how do you do that? How do you get this understanding that there's never a time you're not supposed to be worshipping? There's never a time that you're not supposed to be God's child and mindful of it. Well, there's a couple of things that I want you to do. You need to uh, have one action to start, and you need to have one attitude to change. One action to start, and one attitude to change. Here's one action to start. Commit to a regular personal devotional time. Commit to a regular personal devotional time. Uh, you know, if you went to a restaurant to eat once a week, but then you didn't eat anything through the rest of the week until that next 
uh, special day rolled around and you went to the restaurant again, what would happen? Uh, you would be a severely malnourished person, wouldn't you? We don't eat just once a week. And the, in the same way, spiritually, if you just show up at church at best once a week, and that's at best, uh, but then you don't feed your soul with the food, the Word of God, the bread of life, if you don't do that on a regular basis, what's going to happen? You are going to be malnourished. You're going to starve spiritually. And so how do you fix that problem? You commit to a regular personal devotional time. Now, there are a lot of good devotional books out there that will get you in to a regular daily devotional time, and uh, those are useful things. I, I, you know, I wrote that uh, book, Winning Ways, a 40-day devotional guide, so obviously I'm not, I'm not opposed to devotional guides, but let me just tell you that there is, there is a devotional guide that is even closer at hand to that, and it's free, and that's your own Bible. And if you read the Bible on a regular basis, that gets you into a regular devotional time. Let me give you a suggestion on how you can do this. Uh, you can get your phone and you can download the Bible app. It's the Version Bible app. A lot of you already have it, but Y-O-U, Version Bible app. And there you can uh, find any passage of scripture you need to find. But the reason I'm referencing it right now is that you can get onto a daily Bible reading plan. You just click reading plan. And one of the things that's really useful, they have a lot of them, and one of them that I found really useful is just simply called the One Year Bible. Now, for years, I used a physical copy of the One Year Bible, and now that very copy is on uh, my phone. And I can go to whatever uh, day of the year it is, and I can get an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, a psalm, and a proverb for that day. And then the next day, there's, you pick up where the Old Testament reading left off, and you continue it. You pick up where the New Testament reading left off, and you continue it. You have the next psalm. You have the next proverb. And one of the things that's so useful about that is that I think a lot of people, they start out on New Year's Day. They're determined to read through the Bible in a year, and they do great in Genesis because it's filled with stories. And then they get down into Leviticus and all those laws on how to you know, cut turtle doves apart and all that kind of thing. And then they get into numbers and, and the numbers is just who begat whom. Uh, somebody said it's like, a, it's like those old fashioned phone books we used to have and somebody just put the word begat in between each line. And, uh, and, and all of this is the inspired word of God as well. It's just a challenge, I think, for some people to understand that, for some people to really appreciate it. And so people get bogged down and pretty soon they just feel guilty because they're not reading the word. But if you got into something like the one-year Bible, uh, you would be able to have an Old Testament portion, a New Testament portion, a psalm and a proverb every single day. Now, if you do this, here's how you need to approach the reading of Scripture. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is an ancient practice. Martin Luther was the one that suggested this when a layman wrote him one time asking how he could get more out of the Bible. And Luther told him that every day you should read the Bible and ask the Bible, Ask the, the reading that you're doing three questions. What do I need to praise God for? What do I need to confess? And what do I need to ask God for? You see, the Bible tells us the characteristics of God and the ways of God. And so when you're reading the Bible, you're going to find something that prompts you to praise God for some characteristic or quality. The Bible sort of dissects our lives as human beings, lets us know what our problem is as human beings. And so every time you read the Bible, you're going you're to discover something about yourself that's broken, something about yourself that's weak that you can confess. 
And then, of course, the Bible lets us know that our God is a good and gracious God. There's something in every Bible reading that will prompt you to think about something to ask God for. And if you will just sit in the Bible, whether it's in just one chapter or you're reading the one-year Bible and you're reading all those portions, if you'll just sit with the Bible every day until you can get an answer to those three questions, what do I need to praise God for? What do I need to confess? What do I need to ask God for? And if you'll do that, you will find your Bible reading meaningful and you'll find yourself growing, not just in Bible knowledge, but Bible appreciation and Bible obedience. And so we need to make sure that we're paying attention to the Bible. We need to get it not just in a weekly dose as we go to this restaurant called the church, but we need to make sure that we are feeding ourselves throughout the week on the wonderful Word of God. So I said that there was one action to take, but then there's also one attitude to change if you're going to be somebody who leaves worship, and not just come to worship, but you leave worship as well. Here's the attitude to change. Start thinking of life as a laboratory. Start thinking of the experiences of life and, and all the things you go through as a laboratory. Now, I'm not talking about a research laboratory. I'm talking about your high school chemistry laboratory. There's a difference. In a research laboratory, uh, a scientist comes up with a theory and then she goes into the laboratory to test whether that theory is true. But that's not the way it was when you were in your high school chemistry lab, was it? In high school chemistry, you had your teacher and he was at the board and he showed you some principles. He told you that if you put this chemical and this chemical together, this reaction would take place. And then you went into lab, and you did not go into lab to test whether the teacher was telling you the truth, because those principles that he was sharing were abiding. You went into the lab to experience the reality of those truths. You went into the lab to actually experience what it was like to put this chemical and this chemical together to see this particular reaction. Now, when you come into church every, any given Sunday and every Sunday, you're coming into the chemistry lecture. And so during, during the music time and during the Bible study time, you're learning principles. You're learning about the greatness of God. You're learning about the glory of God. You're learning about the goodness of God. But then when you leave, when you go out into life, it's going into the lab. It's, it's not testing the truth of those things because we know these things are true. It is putting them into practice. It is experiencing the reality of those things that you do out in life itself. And, and so when you go from this place where you've learned principles and you go into the lab, into life, you're, you're, you're saying, okay, I've, I've been in this place where I've sung about and studied about the uh, uh, power and the goodness of God, and, and now I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to abandon those principles. I'm going to see how those principles are played out in my period of unemployment. I'm going to see how God is great and God is good uh, in the breakup with my girlfriend I'm going to see that God is great and that God is good even in the doctor's office when I get unwelcome news or even with yet another negative pregnancy test or watching my husband slip into dementia. I'm going to see, I'm going to experience that God is great and God is good even in those experiences as well. Real life is the laboratory where we get to live out just the principles that we learn in the music and in the message that we hear on Sunday. Now this is where the story of the shepherds can really instruct us. Because what did the shepherds see when they went into Bethlehem? And how did it change their lives? 
Well, this passage in Luke chapter 2 tells us that the angel told them what they would see if they went to Bethlehem that night. Luke chapter 2, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, you notice what the angel said that they would see if they would go into Bethlehem. The Messiah, comma, the Lord. Not the Lord's Messiah, but the Messiah who is the Lord. Now, this is a profound thing. When you look into all the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah that hinge on the door of human history, that, that, that launch into all that God wanted to do to bless the world, the Messiah was sometimes referred to as the one the Lord would send. And sometimes you read these prophecies, and even the prophets themselves were left scratching their head because it seemed that the Messiah was the way the Lord himself was going to come. It was almost as if the Lord was, was going to roll up his sleeves and enter into and say, I've just got to do this job myself. And that's exactly what the angel is saying took place on Christmas Day. The Messiah, comma, the Lord, is the one who was born and placed in that manger in Bethlehem. That's who the, the shepherds would see, the angel said. It's the same thing that John says. In the Gospel of John, he doesn't have the Christmas story, but he reaches back even earlier than the Christmas story, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The story of Christmas is the story of God coming to us, the story of God entering into our experiences himself. You know, and everyone talks about all religions teaching basically the same thing. And what I want to ask when somebody says that is, what kind of teaching are you talking about? If you're talking about don't murder, yeah, most, if not all, religions say don't do that. If you're saying be honest, don't lie, most, if not all, religions say don't do that. But there's only one religion that says that God entered into our experiences himself, lived our kind of life, died our kind of death. It all began on that first Christmas when God, the Messiah, comma, the Lord, was born to a poor family and placed in a cattle feeding trough for his first bed. And then it continued as the, the age of 30, he laid down his carpenter's tools and he started teaching and he experienced misunderstanding, hostility, mistreatment, alienation, just like we do. And then it culminated, at least in his earthly life, by dying on a cross, dying in the same way you and I would have died had we been nailed to a cross. God entered into our experience. And because that's true, when you're facing hardship and when you're facing difficulty, there's one thing you cannot say. There are a number of things we do say and probably can say. Just like Job, we can say, why is this happening to me, Lord? When will this be over, Lord? But there's one thing you cannot say, because the Christmas story is true, you cannot say that God does not care. You cannot say that. Because the Christmas story and the story of Jesus is all about God entering into all the things we experience, our suffering, our loneliness, our alienation, our injustice, our death. He experienced all of it. And so that's what changed the lives of the shepherds. They came and saw the Messiah, comma, the Lord. 
And they went home rejoicing over that truth. Like the shepherds, when you experience that truth, life is never the same ever again. Life becomes your worship service. Every day, in every experience, you look for the God who came to this life. Every experience, every day you look for the God who shows up, the God who says, I know how you feel, the God who says, this will not always last. So you have an action to begin, and you have an attitude to change if you're going to not just come to worship, but leave worshiping. The action to begin, begin a daily devotional time. Don't just come to the restaurant and then starve to death through the rest of the week. Feed on the Word of God. And the attitude to change, see life as a laboratory. See every moment you go through, the joys and the sorrows, the successes and the setbacks, see all of it as a a chance to experience the reality that God is Emmanuel. He is with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Some of us in here, many of us in here are believers, and some of us in here need to take that step into belief today. Those of us who are believers, we need to live out the implications of what we say we believe. God, the Messiah, comma, the Lord, came to live our life. He experienced what we experience. And so when we sing about the glory of God and the goodness of God, we don't have to leave that behind in a worship center, a worship building. We can go out and experience that, the God who's with us, God who has already experienced all of it and leads the way into the way we need to deal with the experiences. So maybe we need to pray this as a believer, dear Jesus thank you for reminding me today that I come to worship and I need to, like the shepherds, return home worshiping as well. Let me trust that whatever I experience in this life can be an opportunity to draw me closer to the God who's in Jesus has already experienced all this. And help me to give glory to you with my joys and in my sorrows. But there's another prayer I want to lead some of us in because you've come into this building today and you're not yet a believer. You've heard about Jesus and maybe even attended church from time to time, read the Bible and that kind of thing. But the reality is that you'd have to say, I, I haven't believed this, not yet. But maybe today's the day that through this music and just through what you're experiencing, just the sense, the spirit in here, the lesson that has been taught, you want to say yes to Jesus. If that's the case, then let me give you some words you could say to him. Something like this, Dear Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. I realize that you came to live my life and die my death, and die my death as a substitute to bear away, to carry away my sins so I wouldn't be uh, held accountable for them on the day of judgment. So give me a clean heart inside and help me learn more about you and how to follow you all the days of my life. Heavenly Father, we pray, I pray that you would hear your children pray today as believers and as brand new believers. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled, Six Ingredients for Daily Fellowship with God. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.